Hello, my name is Joel Sebastian, and I'm uh, doing a podcast on uh, becoming uh, and understanding a respite worker. Um, and uh, I have a guest here by the name of uh, Liz Noble, and uh, I'm going to be chatting with her uh, for a few minutes or so. And uh, we're going and asking her questions as well. And uh, I'm going to uh, also understand some stuff myself, too. Great. Thank you for having me, Joel. Thank you, thank you, Liz, for help for for being here. the The reason why I'm uh, doing this podcast is because uh, I'm compassionate towards people, uh, and uh, I lived in a group home when I was younger, between the ages of fifteen and and uh, eighteen, and uh, I sort of want to help people uh, with uh, certain things with their with their life and so on and, their, and challenges and disabilities and et cetera, to a certain degree. Uh, I, uh, I know what it's like to be uh, in this situation. Uh, it differs from, I know it differs from everybody, but um, uh, like I had no money, no employment, nothing. So, uh, so I know what, so like I said, I know what it feels like. But um, I uh, recently tried to apply as a respite worker at a at a uh, at a homeless shelter, and uh, with with work experience because I don't have uh, the college experience that uh, I guess I should have, but I but I don't. But a lot of places are accepting life experience now. But uh, anyway, uh, I was turned down because of the experience, lack of experience, I should say. Sorry. And um, I'm volunteering now uh, every week, once a week now. And so I'm hoping that will help me towards uh, gaining experience and uh, working with uh, the guest and the general population. Because I know that there's different types of, um, of uh, respite workers. Uh, I know Liz... Uh, she worked uh, on a one-to-one basis in the community, and um, and I'm going to ask you s- some questions, and uh, we're going to see if we can under- get get a conversation going. I uh, have a question for you. Uh, when did you decide to become a, a respite worker? Respite sort of fell into my lap, I guess, in um a way that was a bit of a surprise for me. So I started working um, in with individuals with diverse abilities in an arts, uh, theater and arts sense. So I had gotten involved with a company uh, that worked with individuals with diverse abilities to put on a, a dramatic showcase. So it's like a big play that we did. Mm-hmm. And I was in film and, and drama and theater. So... Yeah, it essentially was a pretty easy transition for me to get into that. But I became passionate about working with people with diverse abilities once I was working with the the different actors there and performers. And um, I got very close to the families that I worked with. And I actually left Drama Way for a little bit and um, ended up pursuing a couple of different things in my industry in film. And was not really fulfilled. I didn't feel like I was doing anything for anybody else besides 
you know, like a big corporation. (laughs) So I kind of felt not fulfilled in my day-to-day life. And there was a turning point that came within that career that I thought I need to make a change. And um, there was an opportunity for me to work with a couple of individuals who were looking for support work. And I thought this would be a really great way to give back, but also to hone some more of my skills in working with persons with diverse abilities and being a, a personal, you know, I was called different things. I was called a respite worker. I was called a, a personal support worker. I was called a buddy. I was called many different things, but essentially what I, I guess was the, was the professional title would have been respite worker. Um, and so I just found myself at a bit of a career change and I found a few families who were really interested in having me work with their children and um, I worked really well with with the individuals and that's kind of how it happened. It was sort of, I wasn't necessarily looking for it, but it sort of found me. Okay. Okay. Uh, was there any emotional uh, parts in, in, in that? Yeah. In what way? Like emotional once I got working with them? Yeah. Yes, yeah. Working yeah. with them. Oh, very emotional. Yeah. It, it is emotional because you're, you essentially are a part of the family in a sense, because the, the idea of respite is that you're coming in to give a, um, a space and time for the family to do something else besides being together. Like, you know, mom and dad might go do something together or siblings might be able to, um, you know, have some friends over or something. But like the idea is that I'm helping get this person into the community or, or goal setting and, and helping them achieve certain things in their day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Um, even just as simple as, you know, going for a grocery shop to prepare this person for independent living mm-hmm. or take them to an appointment. So you get really involved with the family, right? And there's, there's mm-hmm. lots of emotional things like okay. that, I think. Okay. Uh, when you're uh, out in public uh, with the uh, people you're helping, uh, do they get agitated with through stress or anxiety or something? Oh, absolutely, yeah. And uh, I know, I know, putting putting things like embarrassing aside, is it very difficult to uh, get them calmed down? Yeah, each individual times? had their own their own issues or their mm-hmm. own, um, you know, diversability. They definitely all got stressed at different things and sometimes things that I couldn't even anticipate. Like mm-hmm. I would hope I would, you know, think about when we would travel on the TTC, for example, so that I could mitigate the chance that we'd be in large crowds or that there'd be loud noises for certain, mm-hmm. certain clients of mine, right? Other clients, that kind of thing didn't phase them, but, um, it was difficult to, anticipate all of those things because mm-hmm. each day I'm working with somebody completely different mm-hmm. and uh, they could definitely have their own anxiety. So I, you know, I talk about this in most areas of my life, but improvising on the fly of like, yeah. okay, I know what would help, you know, this client settle down and like just looking for the opportunity to have that happen mm-hmm. and uh, doing what I can to, to help them calm down or not feel so anxious. Okay. But yeah, it definitely would occur. But- does, does, does this ever, does this, uh, is there any issues with uh, you when you wake up in the morning, you don't really want to go to work and help help them? If you know, if you know there, if you have an idea, there's going to be a, uh, a situation? Yeah, I think what you, what, what you're also pointing to is it is a very exhausting position. It's, it's something that is very tiresome. Like you might only spend five or six hours with the person or four hours, mm-hmm. but you're, I, I found at least that I would be pretty beat by the end of the day because you have to be on. So, you know, the only time, Joel, I would really feel that is if I felt ill myself, like mm-hmm. say I was under the weather sick, yep. um, I definitely wouldn't feel like I had 
100% to give to the person. And that, that can be problematic because you need to be really, really present and on for each individual person. So not that I ever, I didn't resent it or go like, oh, I don't want to go and see that person today. Yeah. But I wanted to make sure I was there for them. Yeah. Well, I, I well, okay, well, I understand that can be uh, very demanding. But uh, the um, but the issues of uh, facing someone who wants to work as a respite worker is there could there be barriers? Do you think? I think that there are barriers because, like you were mentioning, like the educational part. I think you you've also said in looking for respite work that you've noticed uh, they are taking more personal experience as 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 um, qualify like you qualify with personal experience. Because mm-hmm. um, for me, I didn't I didn't really have like I had a university degree in film. I mean, that didn't really qualify me technically for it. No, but, but I, it, it helps. It, it helps. But I think what did help me, and that was a barrier I didn't have, is that I already worked within the community. Like, I already had a lot of connections. Like, I ended up working from a personal level. My first client was one of my, one of my best friend's brothers, who I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And he was just happy to have a friend, like his sister's friend around to hang out with. But um, yeah. he listened to me, and he didn't really, he wasn't really open to strangers, you know, for lack of a better word. Okay. Um, so he was one of my, he was just a first connection. So I didn't really have a barrier to finding clients because I was already in the community. So that's one of the barriers I don't think I had to deal with. But I think that is a barrier for some people coming kind of, you know, walking off the street essentially just to say looking for this role. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, because uh, there's some there's some places like, like who, who do different types of respite work. Uh, when it comes to the diversity and inclusion part, uh, portion, uh, do they... Uh, I feel things myself have gotten a, l- a little bit better over the years, but but we still need to focus and work on them. But uh, how do you feel? Because you, you, you've seen a lot of things. Yeah, I actually really do feel like I see that. Actually, there's... Right now, you know, we're recording from the Disability Channels studio. You're, you yourself are a participant in the Digital Ventures program. Mm-hmm. And um, the Disability Channel also offers a really fantastic program called Access Now. So this is a some change. This is an example of change that I've seen mm-hmm. where programs like Access Now aim at taking the studio. So Disability Channel does, you know, these great web shows, but they're they're aiming at taking the studio, the behind the scenes, being a reporter, being a camera man or woman, doing the social media mm-hmm. editing, all of those really cool fun things. They're they're working on uh, through this program Access Now, taking that and bringing it into classrooms at, you know, schools, so through the TDSB or through any other school system, mm-hmm. and working with uh, the, the classes which have individuals with diverse abilities okay. and the mainstream students to bring them in together so that we're including everybody, they're mentoring each other, they're understanding more about each other. So, like, there was never programs like that when I was in school. Never. Oh, either either me, uh, either right. I. So I, just in that small fact, I can see there definitely is positive change. Okay, okay. Uh, okay, uh, getting back to the education portion, uh, do you do you find that any of these learning uh, institutions they offer s- sort of uh, support for the individual? If they uh, do, if they if they do to uh, continue with their education. Individual in terms of a person with a diverse yes. ability. Um, 
there's some there's lots of continuing education options. Like I know that there's some programs through colleges, but there's also educational programs through the social enterprises and uh, social service agencies. For like, right, perfect example mm-hmm. of digital ventures. Like that's an ongoing um, program that's meant for persons with diverse abilities to extend their knowledge of digital media and computers and basically help them get more prepared for mm-hmm. the work the workplace. So I think that. You know, education definitely exists out there. It just not, might not be in the typical ways that we might see it, where there's a school like a like a bricks and mortar place that you might go to um, that is dedicated solely to that. But here, you know, we're in a bricks and mortar location, but we have an office space, and we're dedicating our our work to helping people with their education. So um, I think that that's out there. It just takes a little bit of searching. Okay, and. Uh have you ever been personally impacted by someone who who has like who's um, caused the scene or uh, or stressed you out personally or like that? Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think we I think we all have. It's probably a part of definitely living in a bigger city. I think <laughs> if we're mm-hmm. in Toronto, I think we've all you know stumbled upon something that causes yep. some stress and anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say yes for sure. Okay. Okay, uh, I I know that uh, I know from from uh, hearing from like from my past experience, um, some people have said that they can only work in social work for like two years or so, and then it gets to them, and then, then they have to move on. Uh, I've heard that too. It yes. sounds like I don't know if you're like that, but I think that you know what um, I don't think I'm like that, but. I don't, I'm not a social worker. I think social workers are, are examples of people who are very underpaid for the work that they do, but um, they, have a, they have a lot of hard things to deal with. So I think when you have individuals seeing difficult situations over and over, it does definitely weigh on you, I think, emotionally. Like you talked about before, the emotional connection. Um, if you have a stack of people, you know, that you're dealing with to see somebody's, some of these stories come through the door. And I do have some friends that are social workers and have known social workers. Um, it definitely weighs on people's conscience and, and their emotions. So there's certain people who can take that for long periods of time and some people who can't. So maybe it's not really the great, the greatest place for them to be, but it can, it can weigh on them. I think. Everything has an impact, right? Of course, of course, of course. It has to. That's part of life. And it's difficult subject matter that they're dealing with. So sometimes it it, it doesn't do as big of an impact on certain people and other people maybe need to take a break. Yeah, that's that's true. It's true. Okay. Uh, Do you you think that both parties, uh, a respite worker as well as the... The, the the client or the guest, do you think they could learn something from one another? Uh, absolutely, what a great question! Yeah, I think they ab- they absolutely could learn something from one one another. That's a that's a great perspective, Joel, because um, I think that's a good perspective in a lot of parts of life. But if you're yeah the client, you can maybe think about how is this, instead of fighting maybe or pushing back on this person who's come into your life to try to help you, maybe pause for a moment and think, okay, what is this person trying to do? Mm-hmm. Bottom line, they're probably trying to help you. Mm-hmm. So let's listen and, and and talk about it. Maybe not have too much of an emotional 
difficulty about okay. something that that this person's doing to try to help you. Like I've had trouble before trying to assist my my um, my clients into getting into day programs. Mm-hmm. There's lots of great day programs out there. There's lots of resistance about persons like giving in to go to a date program. I think that people feel like, oh, it's like daycare. I used to have a, a client who would always, oh, I don't want to go to daycare. And it's not really about that. There's a social element to these day programs that you're not going to get sitting at home playing video games. You're just not. And yep. you're not going to get it from watching YouTube videos. And and your day flies by, you know. And if you're out there in a community interacting with people, making friends, even if you have an argument that day, at least you're, you're practicing some skills yep. and, and thinking about things and your brain's working in different ways than yep. doing the same stuff you do at home, maybe hanging out with mom and dad or hanging out with your brother who's at home. Those kinds of things, um, they don't help you develop, right? They don't mm-hmm. help you go further. But then also to your point, I could definitely take a moment and think maybe I don't always know the right answer and I need to listen cl- more carefully to my client. Mm-hmm. I think you're right, yeah. Uh, speaking on the, on the life skills portion, uh, do, you, do you find that, uh, do, you, do you have to help the client or the guest uh, when it comes to everyday living, like, you know, cooking, cleaning, things like that? Do you have to let them know or do you have to teach them or do you have to uh, point them to in the direction where like into a like a like into a group or something like that at a community center or a drop-in group where they will uh, basically train them absolutely yeah you're right that is that is a major part of my role so as a respite worker like I wasn't really trained by anybody I just sort of looked at what families needed and I thought I am a key to some resources through my other past experiences, through my other roles, and uh, even through being a personal assistant and understanding how to research and look for resources and call people and get info. All of those things really helped me to serve my clients so that Mm -hmm. if I saw, okay, mom and dad are getting really, really, really like worn out because they need a break in a bigger way. They don't just need me once a day, sorry, once a week. They might need me, need this individual to also take some initiative to go for a volunteer position, or maybe they need to go to a day program. Okay, you know what? Mom and dad are exhausted. They're probably not going to be the ones who can manage that research. Um, that's up to me. So support worker, you know, respite person, I put on my hat and go out there and try to search for some positions. And I was often successful in presenting that idea to the family and the individual and saying, this is what we got here. This is how it's going to help you. And mm-hmm. this is how we can get you there. And this is how we can get you back. Yep. And and so that's 100% of those things, even life skills of, of cooking, cleaning, um, self like hygiene for the, for the person, um, helping them understand about personal hygiene and lots of things, even just conflict management, Joel, like a lots of people who I worked with just not understanding or not, uh, um, having sort of the experience to go by to, un- to, to work through a conflict that they've had with a family member mm-hmm. just to talk it out. Cause so many times it's an insular sort of thing where they're in the house yep. and their mom, dad, sister, and the four walls are the only thing that they have. Mm-hmm. So not the only thing that they have, but that's who they see every day. So you're, so, so basically you're, you're like a savior in a way <laughs> you're a saint in a way. No, you are because, because if you're taking time, I mean, I mean, no, you're, you're doing your job and you're, and you're helping out with the client or the guest, um, and you're, but you're, you're taking sort of that time out of the, uh, off the parent's shoulder 
so that they can have a relax. They can go out and have a coffee or they can socialize themselves That's because the if they don't socialize or if they get, if they get sick, you know, right. there's a problem. There's that's a problem. Right. Yeah, that's the goal. The goal is to give them extra space to breathe, extra space to be a mom and dad, not to be the person in between trying to break up the fight or trying to get this person. Because you know what it's like. We know what it's like with families. If mom and dad tell us something, we're teenagers, we're in the house, or we're adults even, and we're in the house and mom and dad suggest something, it doesn't always, most of the time, we're not going to take their advice. Unfortunately, that's how family dynamics sometimes work. You need a third party to come in, like an arbitrator, somebody who's got, you know, that down and understands the family dynamic and who can say, okay, hold on a sec, let's talk about this option. And I've I've luckily been successful in, in helping in those situations. And I think improving, I think, I think improving the family situation and dynamic while I've worked there. Okay. Uh, speaking of that with the family dynamics. Yeah. Is there a barrier with like languages? Like I've actually never, I've actually never had uh, too much of a barrier. Well, you know what? No, I'll say this. I worked with a client who was nonverbal. Oh, okay. So not necessarily uh, like English to a different language. It's not that, okay. but a nonverbal situation uh-huh. is a lot more difficult. So there was a language barrier in, I guess, in its own right, mm-hmm. but it wasn't something about that I didn't speak um, the same language as the family. I've always worked with predominantly English-speaking families. There okay. was families who I worked with that spoke different languages, but it wasn't the the number one language in the house. Um, and uh, But nonverbal clients... That, that definitely was a new sort of thing for me to experience. Okay. Um, and, and there was the challenges along with that, but we, we found our groove, I guess you could say. Do you know anybody? I know people who have disabilities. I know they can be interesting individuals themselves, right? But uh, have you met anyone that, that's like a celebrity or that's really interesting that you find? That has a disability? Yeah. A celebrity who who I've met. Not, a, not necessarily a celebrity, but any anybody, anyone. Well, there's some people. No, there there is a, a ton of people at the drama company that I met, mm-hmm. and even here uh, at the Disability Channel, some of the uh, newscasters or the people who are the hosts of the shows, mm-hmm. they um, are are star power types, you know, through and through have really big personalities. If you get into a performing art like theater or film, you're going to find those people who just shine on stage, right? So I'm one of my, uh, one of my favorites I have is, um, Nick Hurd. He's, a he works for, uh, uh, the disability channel and he's got his own, um, his own show and, uh, he, he has great star power. He always has. I worked with him at drama way as well. And he was always on stage and, Stole the show. He was a great, uh, great performer. But lots of people who I've met, Joel, have been um, excellent performers, excellent individuals, and have their have a really special thing about them. I think. Okay. Well, uh, I would uh, like to uh, thank you for taking time and speaking with me. Thank you for having about, me, Joel. You're welcome. And uh, I would also like to take this opportunity to. Uh, Thank the uh, Disability Channel for giving me and others an opportunity to help with employment uh, training, internships that can teach us work with with, with work experience, with additional ventures like uh, in digital media, also upgrading uh, with people who have uh, with diverse abilities, sorry. And uh, so to to learn more, visit www.thedisabilitychannel.ca and subscribe to our channel on YouTube.
following follow on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, the Disability Channel showcasing abilities.